All right, so we are awaiting President Joe Biden to make comments about the ongoing war in Israel between Hamas. And it was supposed to come on at 1 o'clock. So we are awaiting the president any moment when he comes out. We will carry his words live here on WJR. In the meantime, I want to get you caught up on what's happening over there because things have developed. Day four of violence. And the death toll continues to climb on both sides. Reports indicate that there are over 1,000 people dead in Israel. 850 people are dead in Gaza, with thousands more injured across the board. Israel continuing its, his, its response to Hamas and the slaughter of innocent men, women, and children with an all-out bombardment of the roughly 140,000, uh, 140 square miles of the Gaza Strip. Now, the Israeli Defense Force says in a statement that they're striking terror targets belonging to the Hamas terror organization on the coast of the Gaza Strip. Here is something that the IDF, the Israel Defense Force, has done away with. They've done away with a practice that they've called knock on the roof. Knock on the roof was a way for Israel to warn just civilians in Gaza of an impending strike. They would launch a small munition. Usually it would land on top of a building and it would alert those inside that a larger strike was coming so that they could they could get out. They could go somewhere else. They've done away with that. And with that, the expectation, according to a number of outlets, is that Joe Biden is not expected to preach restraint to the Israeli people, to the Israeli forces pushing back on Hamas's slaughter this weekend. There are discussions going on that the phone call between Joe Biden and Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, is over, and we are awaiting comments from the president. In the meantime, Hamas has struck back with a huge barrage of rockets, fired from Gaza, quote, in response to the displacement of civilians in Gaza. According to reports, 137,000 people plus have been displaced along the Strip. Now, it followed a warning issued to residents in the southern Israeli city nearby to leave the city before 5 o'clock local time. Video also uh, shared by Hamas showed rockets flying through the air with people taking cover on the side of the road in Israel. In the north, rockets were fired from southern Lebanon toward Israel. That's according to a Hezbollah-owned outlet that operates out of Lebanon. Although Hezbollah did not say that they were the ones to blame for firing those rockets, the IDF responded with with artillery fire. So we continue to wait comments from President Joe Biden any minute now. And again, the president is not expected to preach restraint. Benjamin Netanyahu said they the only way forward through this long, now likely bloody conflict and war is the utter destruction of Hamas. And it sounds like 
the United States, led by Joe Biden, the biggest ally of Israel, is is going to side with that response. And that might be difficult for some to understand. That might be difficult for some to come to grips with. But I think from the Israeli perspective, it's 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 really all they've got. When you hear the reports of beheaded children, when you hear the the reports of women raped in the streets and dragged uh, uh, around the streets, it is jarring to say the least. And I think from Israel's perspective, this is the only way forward. And and this is a long, decades long, decades decades long religious war between these two countries that have spilled over into bloodshed. And it's a complicated place. Certainly for people of faith, they often turn to uh, those in their clergy for assistance with dealing with these challenges. But what happens when the clergy member is burned out? WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us and says that it's happening in every faith. Good afternoon, Marie. It sure is a complicated world just by the litany of what you went through, Chris, there. Religious leaders of every stripe say they're experiencing burnout. Some studies estimate a third of clergy suffer from burnout. Today, spiritual aid is taking place. It's a church mental health summit. There are about 9,000 people participating from around the world. They can access pre-recorded expert talks. The certificate seminar helps clergy deal with compassion fatigue and with burnout. One of the main reasons is that they're always on call, always expected to be on, always expected to give pastoral care, even if it's at the grocery store or the dentist, congregants feel compelled to judge a faith leader's family and how they raise their own kids. Ministers often have to be a jack of all trades. They have to be a spiritual leader, of course, but they also have to be financial administrators, building repair experts, carry the burden of keeping attendance up. Many faith leaders say these times of deep political divisions, it's increasingly difficult to preach because they worry about saying the wrong thing that might affect part of their congregation and in addition those who are offended they're often quick to be vocal about their unhappiness with certain clergy and willing to call them out in public some clergy don't seek help because they don't want to give the impression they have failed their caregiving mission which of course is central to their job one example of how this is changing chris the saint paul seminary in minnesota they've increased workshops and retreats for catholic seminarians as well as priests to help overcome the isolation that many feel as the number of priests decline all right marie thank you very much uh appreciate that report obviously very important uh in this time Uh, We will await the remarks of President Joe Biden on Israel. We'll take a quick break. We will break in with that as soon as he gets to the podium at the White House. You're listening to JR Afternoon right here on WJR. We are awaiting remarks from President Joe Biden live from the state dining room inside the White House. And he is not expected to recommend restraint on on the side of the Israelis. There is uh, the, the notion here that the Israelis are going to go into Gaza. They're going to they're going to go in on a ground attack. And that certainly is is a different mentality than just launching rockets across the border, launching rockets into the strip. This is now a full on on assault and and maybe this is something that Hamas has planned for, but 
but this is a this is an escalation in this conflict that we have not seen. This is an escalation between these two groups that we have not seen. And I I do believe that going forward, it's a very precarious time for the United States. I want to give you a couple of updates uh, as well. As this possible ground operation continues to get on the ground, get off the ground, there are thousands and thousands of Israeli soldiers that are being called to duty, that are being called up, and they are joining in on what is expected to be a, a, a ground assault in Gaza. What, what could that look like? Well, it would probably include something along the lines of eliminating the tunnel system that Hamas uses inside the Gaza Strip to carry out a number of attacks. They have two different types of tunnel systems. One is an offensive tunnel system where they have different routes that they can go. And once they get to a certain destination, they open up the roof and launch ground rockets through them. Then they have defense tunnels that are used to flee and get away and, and find different points of the strip. So they are able to use it as, as an escape hatch as well. And, and there has been talk for years by the IDF that they, they have to do away with these tunnel systems because that's where they, they can inflict a lot of damage. I would imagine the iron drone system that the Israelis use to, to intercept these missiles probably will will continue to be on on a heightened state of use um and I, what i what i am unsure of is the level of accountability on behalf of the israelis when it comes to civilians in the gaza strip but these tactics are generally move quick control as much territory as possible and you know, you, you avoid the, the, the street fights. You, you avoid the homes. So it, it'll be interesting to see what exactly this looks like. But I, I also would imagine that, according to reports, there the, these plans by Hamas have been in the works for, for quite some time, the better part of uh, over a year. And so... I have to imagine that they would have planned for every single, every single possibility, every single outcome has has one way or the other been vetted. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Let's go to Ken in Livonia as we await the president. Ken, good afternoon. Well, I think it's very important uh, to keep in mind something that, uh, has been reinforced even in the last 24 hours. We're dealing with a group of terrorists. We're dealing with a group of people that want to exterminate not only the Jews, but anyone who has a religious belief different than their own. In fact, within the last 24 hours on different radio stations, I've heard interviews from the leaders of these terrorists making it very clear that they want to go after everybody. 
And uh, when you have a group of people that have no problems cutting the heads off of babies, the only thing you have as an option is total extermination. Well, and, and, uh, and I think that there is a certain element of truth to that. But in order for, for Hamas to prevail in that ideology, they would, they would have to do away with Israel first. And that seems unlikely. So, yes, I agree. I think that, that I mean, you go back to how Hamas was created and the, the, the correlations with the, the, the Muslim Brotherhood and their, their ideas and their, their, their utopia of being a, a completely Arabic region, um, I, I think that jives with what you're saying. But at the same time, um, you know, Israel is a force and they are backed by the United States. So th- this, is, this is now another situation where the United States is going to have to tread lightly in how they want to get involved here. Now, look, this is your ally. They're under attack, and that's why I think the USS Gerald Ford and other support systems are going out to the Mediterranean. But certainly, the 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 severity has been ramped up. Eleven Americans have been killed in these attacks in Israel. President Biden expected to head to the podium any minute. We are awaiting his arrival. We will carry his comments live here on JR Afternoon. But this is an escalation in this conflict that we haven't seen in a very long time. Lots of civilian casualties. And in Hamas's case, um, that, that seems to, to be the target. Now, you want to fight militarily, we can have that conversation. But when you start dismembering children... When you start raping will women and dragging them through the streets, you're animals. This is barbaric. And and this is where I think the president steps in today and says somebody needs to be held to account. The president at the podium. Let's check in. I mean this literally when the pure, unadulterated evil is unleashed on this world. The people of Israel lived through one such moment this weekend. Bloody hands of the terrorist organization Hamas, a group whose stated purpose for being is to kill Jews. This is an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered, not just killed, slaughtered in Israel. Among them, at least 14 American citizens killed. Parents butchered using their bodies to try to protect their children. Stomach-turning reports of being babies being killed, entire families slain, young people massacred while attending a musical festival to celebrate peace, to celebrate peace. Women raped, assaulted, paraded as trophies. Families hid their fear for hours and hours, desperately trying to keep their children quiet to avoid drawing attention. And thousands of wounded Alive, but carrying with them the bullet holes and the shrapnel wounds and the memory of what they endured. You all know these traumas never go away. There's still so many families desperately waiting to hear the fate of their loved ones, not knowing if they're alive or dead or hostages. Infants in their mother's arms, grandparents in wheelchairs, Holocaust survivors abducted and held hostage. Hostages whom Hamas has now threatened to execute 
in violation of every code of human morality. It's abhorrent. The brutality of Hamas, these bloodthirstiness brings to mind the worst, the worst rampages of ISIS. This is terrorism. But sadly, for the Jewish people, it's not new. This attack has brought to the surface painful memories and the scars left by a millennia of anti-Semitism and genocide of the Jewish people. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. There's no justification for terrorism. There's no excuse. Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people's right to dignity and self-determination. Its stated purpose is the annihilation of the state of Israel on the murder of Jewish people. They use Palestinian civilians as human shields. Hamas offers nothing but terror and bloodshed with no regard to who pays the price. The loss of innocent life is heartbreaking. Like every nation in the world, Israel has the right to respond, indeed has a duty to respond to these vicious attacks. I just got off the phone with a third call with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And I told him, the United States experience and Israel are experiencing our response will be swift, decisive, and overwhelming. We also discussed how democracies like Israel and the United States are stronger and more secure when we act according to the rule of law. Terrorists purposely target civilians, kill them. We uphold the laws of war, the law of war. It matters. There's a difference. Today, Americans across the country are praying for all those families that have been ripped apart. A lot of us know how it feels. It leaves a black hole in your chest when you lose family. Feeling like you're being sucked in. The anger, the pain, the sense of hopelessness. This is what they mean by human tragedy, an atrocity on an appalling scale. But we're going to continue to stand united, supporting the people of Israel who are suffering unspeakable losses and opposing the hatred and violence of terrorism. My team has been in near constant communication with our Israeli partners and partners all across the region and the world from the moment this crisis began. We're surging additional military assistance, including ammunition and interceptors to replenish Iron Dome. We're going to make sure that Israel does not run out of these critical assets to defend its cities and its citizens. My administration has consulted closely with Congress throughout this crisis. And when Congress returns, we're going to ask them to take urgent action to fund the national security requirements of our critical partners. This is not about party or politics. This is about the security of our world, the security of the United States of America. 
We now know that American citizens are among those being held by Hamas. I've directed my team to share intelligence and deploy additional experts from across the United States government to consult with and advise Israeli counterparts on hostage recovery, recovery efforts. Because as president, I have no higher priority than the safety of Americans being held hostage around the world. The United States has also enhanced our military force posture in the region to strengthen our deterrence. The Department of Defense has moved the USS JLR Forward Carrier Strike Group to the Eastern Mediterranean and bolstered our fighter aircraft presence. And we stand ready to move in additional assets as needed. Let me say again to any country, any organization, anyone thinking of taking advantage of this situation, I have one word, don't, don't. Our hearts may be broken, but our resolve is clear. Yesterday I also spoke with the leaders of France, Germany, Italy, and UK to discuss the latest developments with our European allies and coordinate our united response. This comes on top of days of steady engagement with partners across the region. We're also taking steps at home. In cities across the United States of America, police departments have stepped up, security around centers for, of Jewish life. And the Department of Homeland Security and the Federal Bureau of Investigation are working closely with state and local law enforcement and Jewish community partners to identify and disrupt any domestic threat that could emerge in connection with these horrific attacks. This is a moment for the United States to come together to grieve with those who are mourning. Let's be real clear. There is no place for hate in America. Not against Jews, not against Muslims, not against anybody. We reject, we reject, what we reject is terrorism. We condemn the indiscriminate evil, just as we've always done. That's what America stands for. You know, just over 50 years ago, I was thinking about this morning, talking to the Secretary of State, the Vice President of my office. Over 50 years ago, as a young senator, I visited Israel for the first time as a newly elected senator. And I had a long, long trip, a meeting with Golda Meir in her office, just before the Yom Kippur War. And I guess she could see the consternation on my face as she described what was being faced. They were facing. We walked outside in that, uh, that sort of hallway outside her office to have some photos. She looked at me but all of a sudden said, would you like to have a photograph? And so I got up and followed her out. We were standing there silent, looking at the press. She could tell, I guess, I was concerned. She leaned over and whispered to me, she said, don't worry, Senator Biden. We have a secret weapon here in Israel. My word is what she said. We have no place else to go. We have no place else to go. For 75 years, Israel has stood as the element guarantor of the security of Jewish people around the world so that the atrocities of the past could never happen again. And let there be no doubt, 
the United States has Israel's back. We will make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. It's as simple as that. These atrocities have been sickening. We're with Israel. Let's make no mistake. Thank you. All right, welcome back. That is President Joe Biden speaking on the situation in Israel, says that Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people and that the people killed the babies, the women, the parents trying to keep their kids quiet to avoid being detected. All of those people uh, died at the hands of Hamas soldiers. And, And he also said that those around the country looking to seize an opportunity based on the situation unfolding in Israel. He said, don't don't take advantage of that situation. He also said that police security intelligence officials are working here at home and are stepping up security measures, watching for attacks at places like Jewish temples. And he said towards the end of that speech, that the United States will make sure that Israel can defend itself uh, and making sure that that they have everything they need, including the Iron Dome, making sure that they have all of the necessary, not only offensive, but defensive uh, materials, munitions in order to protect the democratic state of of Israel. 800 W.J.R. If you'd like to weigh in on what the president had to say, I'd be happy to take your call. Your text eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. Um, it it is it is unprecedented what we are going through, and and the president. We will talk about this a little later on. the The last two days have been spent being interviewed by the special counsel that is investigating him for the classified documents case. Now, I'm not saying that the president can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I'm sure that he has been vetted and well aware of what's happening in the Middle East. But nonetheless, he has been tied up with other things. The conversation today with uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu of Israel, uh, they spoke about a number of things he said, but, but also the democracies and working within the framework of the law, which certainly jives with what the European Union is saying, particularly Joseph Burrell, the Union foreign policy chief, saying that Israel does have the right to defend itself against Hamas attacks, but it has to do so with in accordance of international law, saying a collective punishment against all Palestinians will be unfair and unproductive. It will be against our interest and against the interests of peace, he said that not all Palestinian people are terrorists, which of course is true. It is, it is Hamas that is the terrorist organization in this case. It is, the, it is Hamas that have been carrying out these horrific, abhorrent attacks on the is- Israeli people, on civilians, on women, on children. It is not the greater Palestinian people, but instead a group of thugs, a group of terrorists as the president pointed out. Meanwhile, at Harvard, a student group facing intense backlash for their statement saying that Israel is entirely responsible 
for the Hamas attacks. It was authored by the Harvard Undergraduate Palestine Solidarity Committee. It was co-signed by 33 other Harvard student organizations on Saturday. Here's what it said in part. Today's events did not occur in a vacuum. For the last two decades, millions of Palestinians in Gaza have been forced to live in open-air prison. Israeli officials promised to open the gates of hell, and the massacres in Gaza have already commenced. In the coming days, Palestinians will be forced to bear the full brunt of Israel's violence. The apartheid regime is the only one to blame. Now, this statement swiftly received condemnation from professors, from politicians alike, including the Harvard computer science professor, Boris Barak, who called the university to remove the organization's school affiliations. Says, I have a lot of criticisms of Israeli policies, but everyone who signed this statement is condoning terrorism, rape, and murder. The former president of Harvard, Lawrence Summers, called the joint statement morally unconscionable. In nearly 50 years of Harvard affiliation, I have never been as disillusioned and alienated as I am today. Richie Torres, the Democrat from New York, along with Elise Stefanik of New York, uh, both condemning the actions of this particular group at Harvard. Uh, Harvard Hillel, the university's Jewish center, released a response saying in the strongest terms, we oppose this outrageous statement that blames Israel for the violence carried out by Hamas terrorists, a group that has opposed peace and called for Israel's destruction since it was founded. So these these comments and whether it's Rashida Tlaib flying the flag and it is it is precarious for those in this country. To to speak on behalf of the violence that we saw and we have seen via social media. I mean, we are seeing wars up close now, in personal, in, in, in real time. And that is a new phenomena that we have really haven't encountered. Now, you want to go back to the war post 9-11. There were certainly things that you could find online, but before that, nothing. It was all after the fact. So the fact that we are seeing these things in real time is, I, I think that is incredibly jarring to people. So the president just moments ago saying that the United States stands with Israel, that Hamas does not stand for the Palestinian people. He threatened and reminded potential foes around the world not to take advantage of this situation that is transpiring in Israel. And saying that the, the security, the police presence, the intelligence has really ramped up here at home to make sure that our Jewish targets across the United States are not being targeted by attackers. And saying that the United States will do our part to make sure that Israel has the ability to defend themselves. Now, I understand that the president of Harvard University, the current president of Harvard University, has responded 
to that pro-Palestinian letter from from Harvard students. And uh, we will uh, get that to you on the other side as well. Also, coming up at 248, it is World Mental Health Day. How do events like this trigger those dealing with mental health issues, particularly those that have maybe experienced trauma of one sort or another? 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. You want to weigh in on the text, on the phones like Tom and Royal Oak, uh, that's the number for you. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. Well, listen, this, this just breaks my heart. I, as I was telling the screener, you know, my background is uh, half uh, American, of course, born here, Palestinian, Christian, half Syrian, Muslim, half. Mm-hmm. Most of my best friends are Jewish, uh, and, and even so now, but certainly as I was growing up and I've had... Uh, the ability to go to the Gaza Strip, Tel Aviv, uh, enjoy everything from the Hard Rock to the cafe in Tel Aviv down to the, the, the dredges of Gaza. I love all of these people, and mm-hmm. there is no way. First of all, this this act must be entirely and completely condemned. It's absolutely uh, un, un, unspeakable. If we go back into history, same thing with the 1994 massacre at the mosque in Hebron, where a, a Israeli physician came in with a machine gun and, and slaughtered uh, worshipers as they were uh, worshiping. It's just, it is such a long history. And it was rooted in, in promises made to both sides, sure. as we know, by the British, the Balfour Declaration, Sykes-Picot. It, it, is, it is sad to see this, but there, we're going to have to come to a point uh, at, some, at some time. Not now. This has to just, it just has to run its course. There's no way around it. It's going to be but, bad. But Tom, I guess my, my fear is, what does that mean? What is running its course? Well, it's, how it's many not, people are going to die in, in in running the course? That that's thousands. that's the that's the troublesome part here. Thousands, thousands of people will yeah. die, and and it's going to be just add you know added to the thousands that have already died. Sure. I mean since two thousand, yeah. and it has been honestly. Well, in two thousand. I mean, go back to the late forties. Oh yes, I, I mean, mean, but I'm even saying since since two thousand. Yeah. I mean, it's it's in a it's in a body count. It's in the uh, five digits for Palestinians, and now it's growing into the you know up in the uh, four digits. For the Israelis, it is it is obviously a a one sided uh, affair overall. Looking at at history, T- Tom, but do you have family in the region still? Not anymore. My okay. my mother was part of the northern part of the Mandate of Palestine in the city of Safed, which was cleared out in 1948. Uh, but uh, the 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 truth is that you know. Arabs, I, I don't know if I can say this word, but Arabs uh, screwed the Palestinians and, uh, and, it, and it went from both sides. Mm-hmm. And then the leadership of the Palestinians, um, and I'm not saying, I'm, of course, I think there's issues in the Israeli leadership as well, sure. including what's happening now in, in, with a couple extremists who are in the cabinet of, uh, of Prime Minister Netanyahu. But the, the Palestinian side has to take you know, its ownership over uh, opportunities. Look, it was a challenge. The man, the original 1948 resolution 181, uh, giving 56% of the land to the Jewish state where they were um, uh, owned less than 10% of the land. It's it's it, that that was history. The they were coming out of a Holocaust. Yeah. Yeah. There could have been monkeys living in Palestine. It wasn't like they were coming there specifically to hurt and kill Palestinians. There was and a place needed to be created, and that's the way sure. life is. Yeah, no, and and, and and look, I I understand. I don't think throughout the the history of this conflict anybody's blameless. Um, but in yeah. today's day and age, um, when you get to see these atrocities on X on social media, it's particularly jarring. Tom, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Eight hundred eight five nine zero nine five seven. Got to take a break. More next. 
14 Americans have been killed in the attack, the president confirms. Just moments ago in a speech to the country, preaching that America will have Israel's back and that there is enhanced military in the region to assure deterrence by future terrorist attacks at the hands of of Hamas. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Small Business Tuesday here on J After Afternoon. And and I, I think this one blends in really well with what we're seeing unfold on the world stage. There are countless people that are dealing with, with mental health issues of, of, of varied severity or, or type. And today, being World Mental Health Day, we thought it'd be a good idea to have somebody who deals in this space uh, and is an expert. That's where Lori Edelson, the psychotherapist and owner of Birmingham Maple Clinic, steps in. Lori, it's good to have you. Um, I-, I know that you are a member of the Metro Detroit Jewish community. Um, I-, I have to imagine that the 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 events of the last couple of days have have been uh, like uh, like for many of us, very taxing for you as well. It's good to be here, and yes, it's been it's been horrible. It's been terrifying. It's uh, it's interesting because on the news they're talking so much about the 50 years since Israel was attacked at the Yom Kippur War, and here we are, Birmingham Maple Clinic, celebrating our 50 year anniversary. Mm. And so it seems it's just interesting to me that. When this clinic was founded first, uh, was the time when Israel was attacked and at war, and here we are 50 years later. And I must say that the clinic is is thriving and doing well, mm-hmm. and it's just upsetting and terrifying that this war has started now. How often do you find that, that and again, I, I would imagine everybody's different. I imagine that everybody's mental health struggles are different. But but how do world events, maybe this one also included, but but this aside, how do world events and, and um, you know, our current state of, of whatever it is, politics, money, whatever it is, how, how much do all of, does all of that impact people and their mental health? And when they come in to see you, um, what, what what is the discussions like in some cases? Yeah, yeah. Well, the impact is tremendous. And what we find and what we know is that mental health problems have increased over the last 50 years. Approximately 20% of adults suffer from mental illness and mental health problems now. of our adolescents, 22% of our children, like ages 3 to 7, 17, and our seniors also are at about 25% uh, in terms of the total U.S. population dealing with mental health problems. In large part, I'm presuming, I presume, and I think many of my colleagues would agree, that world events, political events, Social events impact our mental health. There's an incredible, as we all know, uh, increase in the adoption of electronic media, 
we have performance pressures, we have terrorist events, we have threats and wars and attacks we see on TV, we see bombings and killings that are, you know, televised and re repeated on cell phones and computer monitors like we never saw 50 years ago. There's an increase in violent TV programs and video games, but just the the overwhelming um, in, influx of frightening imagery, frightening stories, people's life stories that is that are constantly being communicated to all people of all ages, 24/7, have definitely taken a toll on on mental health issues. And what is the message to people who who maybe feel like, oh, look, I can cope, I can I can work my way through, but but maybe can't put a, a a name or a term to feelings that they're experiencing or going through? How, how do you how do you how do we make mental health uh, uh, services and help available to more people? How, how do we get that out? Well, we're we're all trying, and because mental health has become such a, a more, it's become more visible in terms of a necessary problem to address. Uh, the the toll on mental health care providers has increased. So, unfortunately, we're finding in the last few years, particularly since COVID, that we have a shortage of mental health care providers. But I would say generally, we are resilient beings. We can cope with a lot. Uh, most people uh, are, are able to live in a world where there is all kinds of, there are conflicts, there sure. are problems, and they find ways to deal with them. But when our coping skills start to fail us, and we start to find that we have difficulties with our daily lives, in our daily lives, in our daily functioning, in uh it is, it, it is best to reach out to a licensed professional. That's what you do it, at it Birmingham is. Maple Clinic. Um, congratulations on 50 years. Thank you for taking a couple of minutes and, and obviously a tough time, but we appreciate your insight. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's Lori Edelson, uh, the owner of Birmingham Maple Clinic. We got to take a break. More coming up on the other side. We'll pause for the news. We'll give you an update on what the president had to say about the state of Israel and the Gaza Strip. That's next on JR Afternoon. This is an act of sheer evil. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered, not just killed, slaughtered in Israel. Among them, at least 14 American citizens killed. That is President Joe Biden speaking a short time ago, giving the American people an update on some of the developments from an American perspective on this war between Israel and Hamas. Um, security is being stepped up around the country, particularly around Jewish centers, temples, places like that to prevent attacks here at home. There is a enhanced military posture in the region, sending the USS Gerald Ford Carrier Strike Group to the Eastern Mediterranean. And... The president also saying that this isn't about politics. It's not about party. And certainly, I I would imagine that 
the president will have the support of Congress, will have the support of of lawmakers across the political persuasion. Now, I, will you get will you get everybody? I, I, I'm going to say probably not. But the president says that he will make an effort when Congress returns to ask them to take urgent action for national security requirements and the funding to help Israel. So we will continue to watch for that. Americans, the president also saying, are among those being held hostage by Hamas. There wasn't a particular number, but he says that we now know that American citizens are among those being held by Hamas. Hamas also saying that if strikes were to continue unannounced, they were going to start executing the some hundred hostages that they took. They were going to broadcast it live with video and audio. And this is where the president also said that there were ISIS and, and, and tendencies among these Hamas terrorists. He also said that they will make sure, we will make sure as a country, that Israel can defend themselves and issued a, I suppose you could take it as a warning, to potentially other countries around the world saying not not to take advantage of the situation. He also made a point to say that Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people, but they are the, the governing body in Gaza, and they're the bullies on the block. And certainly we, we saw that play out this weekend, and we continue to see that play out. But the president did not uh, warn against further military action, by Israel and maintain that those that died uh, did so un- unneedingly. There was no need for this type of action. It is certainly, it is, it is a developing story that we continue to watch. And it is one that is uh, filled with a lot of really awful details, a lot of fear for those in the region for those with families, children, loved ones, uh, especially here at home, those that that have people abroad, uh, is one that that continues to be, uh, it needs to be talked about, and we will certainly continue to follow it. Um, In the meantime, get you caught up on a couple of other things. Uh, I will have the response from the Harvard professor as it pertains to the pro-Palestinian group and letter that was posted saying that the events unfolding in Israel were at the was at fault, fell to the feet of the Israeli government and people. Um, And in the meantime, uh, uh, speaking of those hostages, dozens of hostages remain under Hamas control and investigations are underway to find out where they are being held, what condition they're in. And WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne joins us to take a look at that part of the story. Hi, Marie. 
And Chris, the attention of the world is very much on these hostages. So here's what we know right now. At least 150 Israelis were taken hostage by these Hamas fighters. According to initial assessments, a spokesman for Hamas claims that they have them hidden. At least dozens of these hostages are hidden in safe places and in tunnels of the resistance. We understand there are tunnels throughout uh, the uh, Gaza territory, and apparently that is where they are saying they're being kept. We don't know that for sure. Right now, officials from the U.S. and other countries are determining if their citizens are among the captives, as we heard the president say that they do know that there are some Americans among the group. The Red Cross, an official at the International Committee of the Red Cross, says the organization has been in touch with both Hamas and Israeli officials about assessing these prisoners. So far, they've had no access to them. The Red Cross minimally wants these hostages to have the opportunity to contact their family to tell them that they're still alive. That has not happened. German officials are also working to see if their citizens were taken hostage. Israeli officials have not given details or even specific numbers of the kidnapped victims. Uh, It's uh, confirmed they included older people, though, and children. Some of those captured are peace activists, Chris, who had supported peace initiatives with with Palestinian rights. It didn't matter. They were also taken away. And at a press conference on Monday, you heard these heartbreaking stories, families of those who were taken saying that they only know their loved ones were taken by closely watching news videos and reaching out to people that they saw in those videos to talk to them about what happened. Mm. It's unbelievable. This is a... uh, uh, It really is. This is a colossal mess, and it is um, one that the whole world is definitely watching right now. I... I, And and here, you know, uh, was a caller a short time ago saying that more people are are going to die and and the reality is the body count and these death totals are are going to I mean they're going to skyrocket I mean what we are seeing just over the last few hours I mean these these bombings that are taking place in Gaza now I mean are they going to just I mean they're going to level the strip and and we're seeing the attacks along the water, along the Mediterranean coast, because uh, the IDF, the Israel Defense Force, says that there are Hamas uh, outposts across that part of, of the Strip. So they're targeting those. What, what I found to be interesting um, uh, amongst all of, of this is the way that Israel is ceasing their knock on the roof campaigns. Yes, I yes, I'd heard this as well, which is which was a subtle way. I'm not even really sure how this made sense. But but if there are, you know, Hamas outlets in these apartment buildings, um, they would also be alerted that something is coming. But but they've stopped that. So I think that's where then Hamas says, well, we're going to start killing these hostages live right. if, if you continue these types of attacks. I, I don't know what they expected. You know that there are civilian casualties also in Gaza. There, there, no question there will be and that there are. So that this um, is escalating exponentially. And that is where the real danger is. And that's, um, you know, in all of this, we have not really heard. And maybe it's happening through back channels. Are there some kind of uh, negotiations going on or some kind of uh, work being done to kind of cool 
the temperature down just a little bit about what all of this that's unfolded. Yeah, I, 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 I would be interested in that as well. My, my gut would, t- my, just my opinion, my feeling is that probably not. I was hoping there would be. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping there would I, be. I but... think the heinous actions oh, of, of, there's of no Hamas, question. I, don't, I don't know that Israel is willing to sit down right now and, and have these discussions. And, and whether there's proxy speaking on their behalf, whether or not, you know, Iran is involved in this, Jake Sullivan, the, the Homeland Security, or, or excuse me, uh, National Security uh, says that, there isn't a complete set of evidence yet to say that Iran is involved, although I think that we can assume that they are, uh, according to a number of different reports. And so, yeah, I don't know what those discussions look like behind the scenes. I hope they are being had or I hope they will be had. But my fear is that uh, probably not quite yet. Um, I the, the Again, we talked about this before. These disagreements uh, go back thousands of years. Um, I, it's just a, it's just that tense of a situation yeah. right now. And the world stage is certainly looking on. And, and like you mentioned, everybody across the world, countries from all over the place, uh, have, have people impacted by this one way or the other. Marie Osborne, thank you very much. Thank you. We got to take a break. Uh, we will talk to Barbara McQuaid, former U S attorney for the Eastern district of Michigan, now law professor at the university of Michigan, uh, trying to dissect, get in a little bit to the special counsel investigations, uh, look into Joe Biden and the classified documents that he had in his possession. We'll do that next to JR Afternoon. All right, welcome back. And as we continue to monitor the situation in Israel, uh, another story came across the wire yesterday and involved President Joe Biden. And according to multiple reports, the president was interviewed as part of the special counsel investigation into his handling of classified documents. What does this mean for the current president? And let's try to take a look inside and dissect what this investigation might look like with Barb McQuaid, the former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of Michigan and now current law professor at the University of Michigan. Barb, first of all, it's great to have you. Oh, thanks, Chris. Great to be with you. Talk to me a little bit about what this special counsel is looking into with the, the president. Obviously, a little different in terms of volume than what Donald Trump is dealing with. But but nonetheless, Joe Biden had classified documents in his possession in a number of locations. What, what kind of questions do you expect the president to be fielding as part of this investigation? Well, I would imagine that the special counsel, Robert Herr, is considering two concerns here. One is, were crimes committed? And the other is, from a counterintelligence perspective, were there any national secrets that were compromised? And so I imagine that he has been interviewing anybody who might have information about this, the person who found these documents, anyone who's been at the premises at both the office and the home who might have information, and now uh, President Biden himself to satisfy himself whether, again, either any crimes were committed, going through the elements of those crimes, and then finding out whether these could have entered into you know, any other open domain such that some hostile foreign adversary could have access to it or any unauthorized person for that matter to determine whether they need to do any steps to mitigate uh, the, the damage that could be done based on the content of those documents. Now, the president said initially when, when it was discovered that he had possession of these documents that there was no there there, that he was unaware he had them and, and he uh, didn't take anything purposefully 
during his time uh, in the U.S. Senate or as vice president. Um, is that a is that a legitimate defense or does the president have to to go a little deeper with investigators? Well, I think that investigators want to make sure that they're not simply taking the president at his word because the laws apply equally to the president and anyone else. And so I think they want to determine uh, what the extent of this was. So as I said, both from a counterintelligence perspective, it could be that he's being completely honest and that it wasn't an accident and a mistake. But nonetheless, that this is spilled outside of people who are authorized to have them, you know, being kept at a home, in a garage, in an office. So regardless of what his intent was, I think they need to figure that out. And then the other one is, uh, it may be that his intent was innocent, but I think they need to uh, make sure of that. And so um, it, it is a crime only if a person willfully uh, mishandles classified information. There is a crime for gross negligence, but that is more than simple negligence. That is uh, you know, some negligence that is so outrageous uh, as to uh, rise to the level of a crime. And so I think they'll be exploring that as well. But if these are papers that simply ended up in boxes that were returned as soon as they were discovered, uh, I, I can't imagine that that would be the basis of a criminal charge. But it's up to the prosecutor here to determine if that's what happened or if there's some other explanation. You know, certainly people may retain documents thinking they could profit from them in the future, for example. If that's the case, then that could be a basis for criminal charges. You mentioned the 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 prosecuting or or I suppose the the investigative team led by special counsel Robert Hur. Um, there was a report uh, in the AP that that Robert Hur's investigation team um, hadn't approached the Biden team and his legal team as of you know late August. What does that signify? in the sense that there was no communication or at least there was no discussions to have this type of meeting um, as of late August. And and now over the last couple of days, we found out that the president met with this team. What, What could that possibly signify? You know, it's hard to know all the things that are going on inside an investigation because they're secret by design. But uh, I would imagine that you would wait until the later stages of an investigation before you want to interview the president himself. And that's because you want to be as educated and informed as you can be about all of the facts and circumstances. You'll want to have read all the documents, interview all the other witnesses, and that helps you to ask good questions and also know whether you are receiving what you think are accurate answers. You can confront the person with information you got from other witnesses. You can confront the person with the content of the documents. And so it makes sense to me that that would happen later in the investigation after you've had a chance to do all of those other things. So perhaps wrapping this thing up, we could be near the conclusion, you think? I think so. You know, the interview of President Biden would strike me as either the very last step, if not close to the last step in the investigation. I imagine there may be some loose ends they'd want to look at. And then the next steps will be to analyze the information, uh, to uh, recommend charges or not charges, to write a report. The special counsel is different from a regular prosecutor in that they do write a public report, and then present all of that to the attorney general, who you know is supposed to defer to the special counsel unless the recommendation of the special counsel is something that is so outside the norms of the Department of Justice. So I would expect, you know, Robert Herr is someone who's been in the Department of Justice. I can't imagine he wants to do anything too outrageous. We'll present his findings to uh, Merrick Garland. Merrick Garland will uh, either say that's ridiculous, you can't do that, or will uh, allow him to go forward. And then, of course, the additional check on the attorney general is if he does something to reject 
uh, the special counsel's recommendations, he must report that to Congress. And so that prevents any uh, sort of you know, secret rejections going on behind the scenes that might be in some way nefarious. So the, the special counsel regs are designed to provide transparency and openness and independence. And uh, I expect that Robert Herr will be delivering his conclusion sometime. I'd say within the next 30 to 60 days, all those tasks I just described probably will take that, that amount of time hmm. to complete his work. There, there was, there has been a lot of discussion about whether or not Joe Biden in his role as either uh, a U.S. senator or as vice president had the capabilities to possess these documents. Was, was there any rule breaking there or law breaking there, or did the president have the ability to to not only have these documents in the sense of of his job title, but then um, uh, after he left office, m- maintain possession of those documents? Yeah, I, I don't know about these particular documents, but certainly a, a vice president, even a senator from time to time, can have access to classified information. So on its face, there's no reason to think that uh, that that his initial possession of these was wrong in any way. But of course, it, you're only allowed what you're you have a need to know. So it's I guess that's a question Robert Hur will have to answer. But then the retention, I mean, typically, no, a person is supposed to give all of these things back. They have to be stored in proper ways. Depending on the classification level, sometimes they have to be uh, saved, uh, stored in a safe or a special uh, classified information facility. And so the mere fact that he has them strikes me as likely to be inappropriate in, in violation of the rules. Now, whether that it arises to a crime, as we said, would depend on whether it was a willfulness uh, or simply a, an honest mistake. And it's hard to compare this situation with Donald Trump because Donald Trump had the, the, the just the volume was much different. But I, I think it is more comparable maybe to the situation with with former Vice President Mike Pence. How do those two situations differ? Because there were there was a decision made by the DOJ not to move forward with charges uh, or an investigation into Mike Pence. Yeah, I think that's such a great question. Um, We don't know yet, and we'll find out which situation this falls into. But as you said, you know, in the case of Mike Pence, it appeared that he had inadvertently retained some documents. He was very forthcoming about it. He was the one who volunteered that he had them. He met with investigators. He allowed them to search his home, and no charges were recommended because there was no evidence of, you know, willfulness or disloyalty to the United States or obstruction of justice or anything in that regard. Um, In the case of Donald Trump, quite quite the opposite. Uh, not only is it the volume of documents, but his behavior around them. Uh, upon discovery of these documents, which was not volunteered by him, but discovered by the National Archives, when they asked for them back, he refused and continued to refuse for 18 months. And according to the allegations in the indictment, uh, you know, lied and moved boxes and it, it obstructed the investigation. So it's that conduct uh, that uh, – caused the criminal charges to be filed, not the simple inadvertent retention of documents. Um, And and again, you you also have to think about this, not about whether there's a crime here, but about whether there is any compromise of national security. Are those documents getting out to unauthorized people? And so the government at that point had an obligation to get those documents back. And as William Barr said, it was Donald Trump's continued efforts to sort of jerk them around that ultimately led to these charges not because of any issue of pride, but to ensure that they actually got all the documents back. And so um, I think the Pence and the Trump cases are very different for the reasons I just described. And we don't know yet which version uh, Biden falls into, but so far all the indications are it's more like the Pence case than the Trump case yeah. because he appears to have been cooperative to return the documents, et cetera.
Barb McQuaid, we always appreciate you lending your expertise. Thank you, as always. Thanks very much, Chris. And okay, we'll talk to you, you again soon. All right, I wanted to, to make good on this because I told you about the letter that that Harvard student group released by the Palestinian Solidarity Committee, the undergraduate group at Harvard, uh, saying that this all falls at the feet of, of Israel. This is Israel's doing. And now uh, Palestinians are going to die because, because of, of Israel. So that was this weekend in the immediate aftermath. 33 student groups signed on to that. Then... The on Monday, Monday night, Harvard came out with with a statement. And it said, as the events of recent days continue to reverberate, let there be no doubt that I condemn the terrorist atrocities perpetuated by Hamas. Such inhumanity is abhorrent. Whatever one's individual views of origins of longstanding conflicts in the region that actually excuse me, that is from today. That's Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard University. The letter that the Harvard student groups is depraved, it represents a complete lack of not just understanding, but empathy. Uh, That's according to uh, one congressman who is a Harvard grad. Um, Meanwhile, you've got former president of Harvard, Lawrence Summers, saying the delayed Harvard leadership statement fails to meet the needs of the moment. Why can't we find anything approaching the moral clarity of Harvard statements after George Floyd's death or Russia's invasion of Ukraine when terrorists kill, rape, and take hostage hundreds of Israelis attending a music music festival. Why can't we give reassurance that the university stands squarely against Hamas terror to frighten students when 35 groups of their fellow students appear to be blaming all the violence on Israel? And I think that's exactly the take. I think that's exactly the take. And Harvard just hasn't been strong enough on this issue. 800-859-0957. In the meantime, the president spoke today saying that 14 Americans were killed in Israel. There are still 20 plus missing. There are believed to be Americans in the group of roughly 100 hostages that Hamas took as they were raping and pillaging in, in Israel. In the meantime, Rabbi Asher Lopatin joins us. He's the executive director of the Jewish Community Relations Council, also with the American Jewish Committee. Rabbi, it's good to have you back on. What did you make of the president's statements today? Well, overall, I think it was impressive because maybe the most important thing is that this these kind of atrocities are never acceptable. Never. And, you know, that's maybe the most important thing. Um, of course, you know, um, the president, I think, you know, needs to should have come out probably saying we are going to you know, bring our hostage. You better release those hostages. You know, he really was not that forceful on that. But I think at least, you know, he was very clear that we stand with Israel. Israel will defend itself. We've moved, uh, you know, carrier fleet in the eastern Mediterranean. Don't mess with Israel. And. You know, I'm just looking, you know, I'm speaking also as a rabbi and someone in the Jewish community here. We're just looking for people to condemn this action and say it's never excusable. And tragically, we don't see that. And and um, and also to say, you know, and I think what the president made clear is that anyone who says that these atrocities, killing babies and children and everything you mentioned, that that's just someone's fault in the context of the fight, anyone who says that. 
is saying something detestable. And I think the, that came out in the president's speech. So to some extent, I think that was uh, it was a very successful speech. Let's see if he follows it up or or, or if the you know, Defense Department follows it up that we you better let our hostages out. Um, so we'll see about that. But it was a good, a very, very good start. The president also said that when when Congress reconvenes, that they're going to uh, he's going to urge them to vote on a on a package that would help Israel uh, arm themselves and prepare themselves for not only an offensive, but but potentially uh, a defensive as well, whether it's it's making sure that the Iron Dome is is properly mm-hmm. equipped to protect Israel and, and the people in, inside the country. Um, do you think that other countries around the world also need to play a role in this, uh, other allies of Israel? Absolutely. And, you know, this is not just an Israel-Hamas problem. This is the world needs to know. I think Russia needs to know. China, everyone, Iran needs to know that we these atrocities are not acceptable. And as long as people are making excuses for them and saying, well, they're the result of years of oppression – they're going to go on all over the world. People are looking at this, and I mean, this is clearly an atrocity and <laughs> unbelievable. Babies killed and everything. It's so mentioned. graphic, Rabbi. It's it's yeah. it is horrific. And if if this gets a pass, uh, then then these kind of atrocities are going to happen all over the world. And you know, I just it 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 just smacks of terrible like anti-Semitism. It, it again, it's like the Holocaust. Like people are okay with throwing Jews in a synagogue and burning down the synagogue and no one says anything. And, you know, we're just not used to that for the last 80 years. Uh, and so I, I think that that's really, um, I, I hope that on this Friday, you know, we hear imams in their, in their mosques say that whatever the story is, I could be the most, you know, anti-Israel, pro-Palestine, whatever, this is not acceptable because it's really going to be a world problem. And sometimes we talk about the Jews are the canary in the coal mine, that mm-hmm. if this is, you know, okay to do, then other people are going to do that. And we just, I mean, the world. And so you're right to get back to it. And I think I look, I saw in Paris, Eiffel Tower was lit up with uh, the Israeli flag. So I was impressed with that. You don't always feel that coming from France. So that was very mm-hmm. impressive. Yeah. Obviously, this is anti-Semitism at its core, uh, mm-hmm. right? Right. This is this is wanting to eliminate not only the Jewish state, but mm-hmm. but but Jews, literally, yes. uh, out yes. of the region. Um, and and I, I I think that does get lost here. And and if mm-hmm. you if you and, and I not that it gets lost, but it gets lost in the way that you put it, where if this gets a pass, if this doesn't yeah. go unanswered, if the United yeah. States isn't strong. Then what does that perpetuate? Not not even just for Jews around the world, for anybody of any yeah. race, religion. What does that mean if we just allow this to happen over and over again it, it, without a response? I, I think that's a very interesting way of putting it. Has to come to an end. And and those people who love Palestinians, I think I've mentioned before, I'm a Zionist, but and I'm and I'm pro-Palestinian. How could you let this be the flagship of the Palestinian resistance, this kind of horrific, detestable, as the president said, detestable actions? This should not represent Palestinians resisting. It's, and you got to – people, the, all the rallies should be about get rid of Hamas, get rid of Hamas. 
and uh, I'm not hearing it. You know, and I should say that I, it's not enough to say we regret the loss of life of civilians. I mean, I would assume that, but you have to condemn this kind of action. Mm-hmm. I think if the world does that, the word will get out, and 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 maybe we'll have something. You know, we'll move forward a little bit, but it's got to come out. It's people have to talk about it. Rabbi Asher Lopatin, thank you again for your insight. Uh, we will talk again very soon. Thank you so much for all your coverage. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Uh, we got to take a break. Uh, we'll try to lighten things up. Uh, good news about the Detroit Lions next on JR Afternoon. What a tremendous song for a tremendous football team. How about that? Lions 4-1. and one. Thank you to the... Raiders of wherever they're located now for the big win last night. Steve Courtney, what a what a what a time to be alive. What a time to be a Lions fan, eh? Yeah, Chris, there's uh, absolutely no doubt about it. And uh listen, uh as Lions fans, as Lions followers, my boy, uh we have paid our dues. And uh it is just a wonderful overall feeling uh to be where we are at. Now, uh, that's not to say the job is done, because there is, as they say, plenty of football to go. This conversation, Chris, brought to you by the hardworking men and women at Bill Brown Ford. Forward down the field, the W's are stacking up, and now our winged wheelers return to the ice. My good friend Matt Garko and his team are stacking wins each day. Drive with the champions at Bill Brown Ford. Shop their True View inventory at BillBrownFord.com today. Uh, yeah, how about the ratings? Taking care of business last night, the uh, Packers two and three, the Bears, the Vikings, both one and four. Uh, it's been a while since the uh, Lions, Chris, have been on top of the NFC North after five games. As a matter of fact, you go back to October of 2016. So, uh, isn't it a nice feeling, my friend? It is the best. It is the best, and you 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 said it. We've been through the ringer, so now. We get to bathe in the glory of the Honolulu blue and silver. Let me ask you this, yeah. because there has been there's been a lot made of these draft picks and the depth, and and I think they've done everything right. They supplement their draft picks, which are, you know, if you, if you're batting seventy percent and your draft picks are hitting, that is a wonderful average. All right, but you supplement the talent with free agency and are guys like. Emmanuel Mosley or or uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Now, those two guys are, are banged up, out for the rest of the year. But when, when you've got the depth that this team does, and look, the way the schedule plays out, the way that, that things are setting up for you, um, and you continue to do what you're doing, you're going to be in a lot of these games. You're going to win a lot more football games. Does that, in your mind with these injuries to some pretty key positions, does that make them buyers at the trade deadline? Does that does that change things for this organization in the near term as opposed to the long term? I don't know. I I, I think, uh, you know, as you point out, Chris, Brad Holmes, the general manager, has done such a wonderful job uh, piecing this football team together. Uh, and, of course, with the input of Dan Campbell. And I think uh, every player that Brad, Brad Holmes brought in uh, is a Dan Campbell type guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Tough, hard nosed, smart. Yeah, and you know, I think he, he's going to weigh it out. I think it's the next man up mentality uh, moving forward. And look, you don't have to go past Sunday uh, for yet another challenge for this Lions team on the road 
right now, Baker Mayfield has the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on top of the NFC South at 3-1. and one. They're coming off a bye week. Uh, Lions right now are installed as a three-point favorite, uh, but we'll see. Uh, but, yeah, I think the uh, next man up mentality uh, for this Lions team is uh, going to be prevalent. I will say, you know, when you take a look at what they were able to accomplish offensively against a lackluster Carolina Panther team, let's call it what it is, uh, you didn't have Amon Ross St. Brown, you didn't have Jameer Gibbs, and you were still able to put up 42 points. By the way, uh, indications are from uh, the Lions that Amon Ra will be good to go on Sunday, and that would be great news. No, it would be huge news. It would be absolutely huge news. Um, I, I just want to look this up. I want to see the line real quick before I let you go. Uh, but what about David Montgomery while you're doing oh, your just research crazy. there? I mean, he, he is he is off the charts. He is off the charts what this team needs in terms of a running back. Well, and the comparisons have been made and probably will be continued to be made. Uh, Jamal Williams, clearly a fan favorite, clearly a favorite inside that Lions locker room, had 17 touchdowns a year ago. Now, granted, most of those came from a yard out, but nonetheless, he got to pay dirt. David Montgomery is so very hard to bring down. As a matter of fact, once he became a Lion, uh, simple research dictated that here's one of the elite running backs in the National Football League as far as yards after contact. He is a load. 109 yards this past Sunday to go along with that 42-yard scamper. Yeah, but Pokemon, cartoons, those are all cute, but people want to see you score touchdowns. They want to see you run hard, and that's everything that Dave Montgomery does. Minus three. Lions given three points. What do you – What do you, I, I, you can – I'll give you six. How about that? Six and a half. You know what? I, 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 I'm going to – I'm going to continue to sip the Kool-Aid, if that's okay. Yeah, same. Uh, I, I, I think this Lions team, under Dan Campbell, and let's bring in defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn into the conversation, shall we? Uh, because during that rough stretch when they started 1-6 and six a year ago, there were so many people looking for his job. Yeah. Uh, he was able to right the ship. You, you look at what they're able to do uh, stopping the run. Uh, the Panthers, 99 yards on the ground. Right now, your Detroit Lions defensively, one of the elite, if not the elite team in the league as far as stop, uh, stopping the run. So, you know, kudos to Aaron Glenn and what he's uh, been able to put together there. But, yeah, I'll sip the Kool-Aid. Uh, I'm looking uh, for the Lions to uh, take care of business Sunday. That's all I know. Different organization, different management, different team. Uh, this team is on the up. Steven, thank you. Talk to you all soon. Right. Have a great day there, Chris. Speaking of somebody who's high, Ken Brown. Hello, Ken Brown. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> How are you? Why you get Courtney off the phone before you talk to me? Is that what it is? Well, I just I we want I want to I want to give you okay. your own okay. your I own space. It. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, I apologize. That's all right. Well, what? What do you have beef? You want? I, you got just, something to say to I him? I just thought we'd keep separating this for some okay. reason. You know? I just look. I want to keep everybody. I want to keep. I, I want time with everybody. Okay. So how are you? I'm great. All right. I see you guys are all lined up today. I'm lathered up, baby. I tell you what, they better start flexing those Monday night games. That was an awful football game. It's brutal. Awful. It's and brutal. If the Raiders, if they come into town like they looked last night, oh my God. Green Bay is terrible. Well, what are the Raiders? The Raiders, the Raiders are with, terrible. With too. bad coaching. Did you Correct. see that guy kicking a field goal at the end of the day? I don't understand how Josh McDaniels continues to be a head coach in this league. I, I just no don't. No idea. No idea. And, and it, it obviously, all that Belichick stuff, uh, oh. you know. Uh, maybe it was Tom Brady after all. Well, either that or the game is 
kind of passing Belichick by now. It's a different game. <laughs> it's a different game. It's a different game. What do you got coming up? Oh, uh, we're going to have uh, Taylor Decker on today, matter of fact. Oh, good. We have Taylor Decker on. We're going to gave a to... great speech after the game. Yes, he did. And for the 100th game. 100th game. We're going to talk to the president of the Motown Museum about their expansion. And the mayor of Detroit, the mayor of Detroit is Michael Duggan. For the second hour, five to, five to six. So if you got problems, questions, Call in. Okay, I will call Taylor Decker. I will tell him. No. Yeah, yeah, tell yeah. Taylor, Taylor Decker, can you yeah. fix my uh, yeah. street light? <laughs> right. <laughs> and All we right. have the mayor playing center for the next yeah, right. game on top of it. Oh, that. you stop it. You leave Frank <laughs> Ragnar right where he is. All right, that's going to do it for us. Mitch, I'm the crew. Coming up next. See you tomorrow.